Welcome to the Fintech Australia podcast, brought to you in partnership with Tier One People, Australia's leading fintech executive search consultants. I'm your host, Dexter Cousins. Shameless plug time. Tier One People have just started a search for a head of product with a payments client based in Sydney. Our client is just about to embark on international expansion, and there couldn't be a better time to join. For more information, contact talent at tier1people.com. I'm joined by Emma Weston, CEO of AgriDigital, a multi-award-winning platform. Using blockchain, AgriDigital is leading the way in digitizing global agricultural supply chains from farmer to consumer. Emma, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dexter. Could you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and also AgriDigital? Sure. So my name is Emma Weston and I'm the CEO and a co-founder at AgriDigital, which is an ag tech meets fintech company. We are really focused on digitizing and de-risking global agri-supply chains with a current focus on the grain and cotton industries. Oh, wow. When did you found and, and how big are you now? Yeah, so... I've got two co-founders, Bob McKay and Ben Reed. We've actually all worked together for a really long time. There's lots of grey hair on the team um, and mainly focused, like our domain is agriculture and grain supply chains in particular. That's what we know really well. But throughout our history, we'd been building um, our own companies, we'd been building our own tech uh, and we'd also been building out supply chain finance services. So we came together again in 2015 as a trio and founded AgriDigital with a mission really to look at ways in which we could uh, build a single source of truth platform that was going to deliver simple, secure and cost-effective core supply chain operations technology to the small to medium enterprise sector in supply chain and at the same time, crucially, provide access to working capital. So, um, that was kind of the mission that brought us together. We had a small core team of a couple of developers that we'd worked with previously um, in previous businesses. And we're now at just a little over 40 people with operations in Australia. We've got a uh, team in Manila uh, in the Philippines. And so we've got about 10 people in the Philippines. And we're just branching into North America now, both the USA and Canada. Brilliant. And in terms of the, the US market, um, what are the types of opportunities mm. that you're seeing out there? So massive just in terms of scale for us uh, to give everyone a bit of an idea. Our target market is farmers and buyers, traders and consumers of grain commodities. So a consumer would be a dairy or a feedlot or a mill, as an example, but also storage and logistics companies. So we are very much a kind of a whole of supply chain tech uh, in terms of our offering. And the market in the US and Canada, just well, let's just take North America as a combined market. It's around, it's almost 15 times the size of the Australian market. Um, and just that's by uh, economic um, or, you know, by, by value. But in terms of number of participants, um, it's around about 25 times the size. So in terms of the number of users, it's a, it's a massive market as well. Incredible. So how did you manage to move into the US, what were some of the challenges that you faced? (laughs) Well, it's been pretty challenging this year, that's for sure. Um, So some of the challenges have been, I guess, really focused around, um, to begin with, actually, it's kind of an interesting point, perhaps, for people, but 
we were really quite obsessed with our location, like what was going to be the best location in this massive market? Where should we be? Uh, how could we get the talent that we needed to work in our business, but how could we also have easy access to our customer base? And our initial customer base in the US and Canada are actually farmers, and so they're spread you know, really, really far and, and wide. Uh, so it's not possible to have, you know, an office footprint that's going to service everyone. So that was certainly um, a big challenge to begin with. And as things have evolved, and particularly this year, we've started to see that the focus for us should not be on location, but on talent. So where is the talent and how do we tool up the talent and bring them on and use our culture um, as a bonding tool to ensure that we can all work together even if we're not in the same location. So that's been an initial challenge. Um, also just kind of maintaining and seeding a culture, if that makes sense. Um, you know, how do you take what you've built in Australia and um, take that across from a team perspective? So most of the challenges have been internal as opposed to the challenges of the market or the challenges of the customer or the product, which we really do have a good handle on. You mentioned culture there, Emma. What's been the approach to the, the type of culture that you're looking to create at AgriDigital? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, isn't it? Because it, it doesn't kind of matter what my intention is. Um, you know, we've got a team of 40 people and, and everybody contributes in some ways, even though, you know, leadership comes from the top, I get that. So I think that what we're really after is from the very moment that we bring people into the team, we really want them to be passionate about the vision that we hold and the mission that we're on. Um, we're, we're probably more um, accepting of differences and diversity across our team than perhaps some other um, traditional ag, uh, ag tech and other ag players because we're, we're more focused on, you know, is this really a problem that you want to be solving and that you're, you're truly passionate about and believe in? Um, that has then led to having a huge diversity in terms of ethnicity, um, you know, within the organization, which has really contributed to us having this very open, fun, you know, sharing, but also incredibly hardworking ethos. And I think that's probably what pulls us together. We know to that it, we have to um, have some down tools time. Um, and if anything, the team's probably errs to the other side because they're really, really focused on delivery and product. Um, the other part of the culture, I guess, is valuing and getting deep into the domain. It's not enough just to be good at the technology. Uh, you actually have to really understand the, the daily, I guess, trials and tribulations of a farmer. Um, so everybody needs to have and be willing to have customer exposure um, or they're just not really going to make it or enjoy the team experience. Just wondered if you had any insights on how to maintain the culture when people are working remotely, any tricks or any tips that you could possibly share? When uh, COVID happened, we moved very, very quickly to uh, complete remote working. So we've probably had teams, the team completely remote for, gosh, almost 14 weeks now, 12 weeks now, something like that. Um, and we are starting to think about what the road back looks like. And it's going, it is going to be different from the way things were previously. I guess things that we have learned is that uh, remote can work really well for individual productivity, but for team productivity, it doesn't necessarily always work well. So it's trying to kind of strike the balance between 
setting yourself up as an individual doing deep work versus being able to have the interface time both in person or you know in, in video conferencing um, and to use to think to rethink the way we use office space I guess is is what we're going through at the moment it's not really just about trying to get people back into the office it's trying to think about what is the reason that we all need to be there um, what can we do in an office that we can't do elsewhere and what is best done you know under remote working conditions so that's just some things and I don't have the answers to it. It's just like what we're grappling with at the moment. Um, we think there's some kind of halfway house that is going to work really well for us. And we're starting to look at staggering our teams back in uh, so that we have core days where components of the team have complete face-to-face -face time, which is largely around brainstorming, um, planning, uh, iterating where you need to kind of bounce ideas off each other and micro expressions and, you know, just everything that the, I guess the magic and the pizzazz of being face to face, it really works. Um, from a cultural perspective, it's been, it hasn't really hurt us. I don't think culturally we have used this as an advantage to get closer and to understand our permanent remote workers and their experience in a much more profound way. So one of my co-founders, Ben Reed, lives permanently on his farm in Young, and he has seen COVID as a great opportunity to not be the forgotten remote worker um, because now we all are, are in that position. And so we've all got a better understanding of how to conduct meetings, how to have team briefings, how to have all hands and be much more inclusive. So I think it's actually been really good from that perspective. Got you. How do you position blockchain with a farmer? Because I think even people in the fintech industry often struggle to wrap their heads around blockchain and what it actually is. Yeah, so I think um, it's a really interesting question as to whether we have deliberately tried to position anything at all or whether we have allowed the product and the problem to speak for itself. I think increasingly what we have done is worked with our audience to understand that blockchain is not a silver bullet. It's not uh, a solution in toto. It's part of a toolkit that we need in order to be able to attack these really big problems around integrity and trust within our food and agricultural system. Uh, also so that we can deal with quite operational matters such as back office efficiencies, trading book or position reconciliation in real time, uh, payments and, and, and so forth. So we've really focused on three areas or three buckets as we call them. One of those is around uh, payment and transaction security and talking about that with farmers and others. Another one is around network and market efficiency. So the value that we all get by starting to, to, to come onto a common platform or a current, common piece of infrastructure. And the third area is around the transparency and the provenance piece. We keep going through these waves where, you know, there's massive interest in blockchain and digital currencies, and then it kind of goes quiet. What's your take on where blockchain and uh, distributed ledger technology kind of sits in this world that we find ourselves now? And do you see it being kind of necessarily tied to cryptocurrencies or do you think there's a you know, there's a, a different use case for it. Yeah. Thanks, Dexter. And, and that's probably a good extension of the previous question and discussion, isn't it? Um, that partly what we've been focused on is problem statements that don't necessarily have anything to do with crypto. 
and uh, helping our customers understand that we use blockchain as a technology to solve a problem as opposed to uh, being able to just access a, a crypto component um, has been part of the challenge and part of the opportunity, I guess. Mm. In the early days, there was a lot of confusion when we spoke or we talked about how we were using and experimenting blockchain uh, with Bitcoin. So there was a, you know, increasingly it was, you know, agri-digital as, um, you know, using Bitcoin to solve farmers' problems, which we, we never have. So there was confusion at all layers, I think, within the industry, not just at the customer level. I mean, there was confusion in media, et cetera. Uh, we're probably a lot more educated now and it's time to have a really, you know, kind of ripe and adult discussion about blockchain as a utility versus crypto as mm. um, an alternative capital source or an alternative asset uh, in itself. Um, we're probably very much aligned to still wanting to have that former discussion. And, you know, how does blockchain come in to solve age-old problems just the same way that we are using a number of other techniques and technologies and, you know, the combination of wanting to digitize operations leads us to want to make them more efficient to be able to want to share and leverage that data and to be able to rely on that data. So that, that's really the focus area at the moment. And crypto is something that we should be aware of because I think the loop will come back eventually as the market matures and we'll converge back into having a, a crypto discussion again. But that's not the discussion we're having at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed on Twitter, even JK Rowling's getting involved in it. Is that right? They're being utterly confused by wow. the, the whole concept of Bitcoin. But it's been rather amusing to to read and see the response of what's a fairly passionate community of the, the Bitcoin and crypto uh, advocates. And and they are a really passionate group. So there's, you know, there's a lot to work with in that passion, um, for sure. We recently actually worked with a group of uh, ag tech uh, students at Olds College based out of um, Olds, it's a town in Canada, not far from Calgary. And they did a research paper for us as part of their coursework as well, which was focused on looking at how farmers uh, think about blockchain, what they know about blockchain and adoption rates for blockchain in agriculture. And one of the findings that they had across the, the surveys that they were doing and the research that they undertook was that increasingly farmers regard blockchain as they do any other uh, subscription or data provider or technology provider. And they want it to be wrapped up in a product or in a service. They don't want to think about it as a technology, yeah. a standalone technology yeah. they need to implement. You've got some good news to share as well. Would you like to, to tell us a little bit about that, Emma? Oh, you've been very kind, giving me a little bit of an opening here, Dexter. Um, we do have some good news to share. It's so, the book plug time. Is, it? is that what I, is that I get to do? Shine it up? Um, okay, well, I'll keep it nice and short, but it is really exciting. So we have a new product that uh, is going to be launched at the end of June, June 26th. It's called Waypath. Waypath is W-A-Y-P-A-T-H, and it's a product targeting farmers. It's for global release, so uh, it's not just Australia, not just North America, but in fact, all of uh, all of the world. And it's really focused on enabling farmers to become their own trader, to become their own elevator or storage operator, and to be able to enter the supply chain and manage their commodities into the supply chain in their own right. So we're really excited to be doing that. It means that we're now starting to connect up 
the digitization that's happened on farm with the digitization that's happening in the supply chain. And we're basically providing a product that is the last link between farm digitization and supply chain digitization. So please um, have a look at Waypath. It's, uh, it's going to be really, really big for farmers. I think we've got heaps of interest um, engaging by our early adopter group. Uh, there, it really is just the beginning. One of the exciting things is, although it is focused on supply chain at the moment, we are then going to be using that as a way of being able to deliver our supply chain finance as well. So we'll be bringing finance at the click of a button to farmers globally. Brilliant. As I mentioned before, being involved in the fintech scene really since it, it kind of got serious here in in Australia around about two, 2015, we seem to have hit a, a bit of a watershed moment for the industry I think the last two years have been fantastic. We, we're facing some headwinds now, as are most other industries. What do you see as the, the kind of future for fintech? And, and what advice do you have for any founders out there that are kind of doing it tough and, and might be you know, worried about what the future holds, Emma? I think the future is really bright, Dexter. You're right. We've We've had a lot that has gone on over the past five years, and there's a lot that we've learned as an industry uh, one of the challenges that we're still facing and having to deal with is how we uh, collaborate with incumbents. That's still been quite slow um, in the industry. In fact, in many cases, the very successful fintechs are those who have bypassed collaboration altogether um, and really struck out with their own value proposition to a very well-defined target audience. So I think that is probably what the future holds is uh, less focus on collaboration um, per se, and more on fintechs being able to clearly demonstrate the value that they bring to a clearly defined market, as opposed to having just great product ideas and bringing products to market. Um, I think that if I absolutely agree that there's probably a lot of founders out there who are worried about the times ahead um, and, you know, whether or not as a industry where getting enough support um, in these in these difficult times from government and others. I think the true the, tr- the truth is that we can't depend upon that. Um, Fintech Australia does a great job lobbying on our behalf and, and you know, being able to take our concerns to Canberra and, and other places. But uh, I think it's the time for founders to really look hard at their teams, their product, their customer base, and make sure that they're working on the truly big problems. And if they're not, to, to, to think about, how they can be doing that. So if it's not going to be in their own uh, team, do they actually join forces? Is there you know, some level of consolidation that needs to happen within the fintech sector to make us a more powerful sector in our own right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think you're right as well. You know, if we look back, we've, we've seen record investment in the, in the industry and in the sector over the last couple of years. So it's, um, I think it's a, it really is a, a time, as you say, for you know, the whole community to come together and to, dare I say it, get back to what we're about, which is being entrepreneurs. And you know, entrepreneurs don't rely on the government to fix problems. They- if as a founder you're not comfortable with you know, the risk of the job, then you, know, it, you yeah. kind of look for another job is, is the hard line, isn't it? But um, you know, there, is, there is yeah. risk in what we do and you have to be able to find the enjoyment in the risk and you know, not just get stressed by it, I guess. Yeah, and therein lies the secret, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if we could all do that, it would be so easy. Well, Emma, we wish you and the team best of luck with the new product launch. Great to have you on the show. 
Thanks so much for having me, Dexter. I really appreciate it. It's been really fun talking. Emma Weston of AgriDigital. If you'd like to connect with Emma, there's links in the show notes. We've got a bumper June lined up. Klarna, Revolut, Go Cordless, Nab Ventures, and many others joining the show. So remember to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player. And if you want to keep informed on the latest hiring news and opportunities in fintech, join the Tier 1 People community. You'll find more details at tier1people.com forward slash talent. Well, that wraps up the show, folks. So until the next time, keep safe.